0: folks we are rolling along with our music nerds unite bracket um we've just rounded out the 60s and we're going to hop in the delorean and take it up to 1970 we've got number one seed led zeppelin against the number 16 almond brothers
1: so this is uh two personal favorites love them both uh but let's be honest, this isn't really that close. Led Zeppelin advances. Uh, but I do want to say, you know, the Allman Brothers were the southern rock band. Um, Dwayne Allman, one of the all-time great guitar players, died sadly far too young in a motorcycle accident. Um, you know, Dickie Betts and him were a great guitar tandem. Um, you know, Greg with that, that bluesy growl and, those, the blue, and, and the moody Hammond organ, you know, was also essential him and dickie were the main songwriters and uh they had the double drums uh which was unique at the time along with the grateful dead you know butch trucks and uh, jamo um you know they worked very well together jamo did like the jazzy accents while butch kind of powered it along with with the, the rock drive and then barry oakley was a great bass player who also Met an eerily similar t- demise to Dwayne, though, like a year later, almost at the same spot. How weird is that? This, you know, motorcycle accident. So, you know, everyone knows, you know, Live at Fillmore East, especially is like the, the guitar album, one of the great guitar albums. That that 23-minute I think version of Whipping Post, and in memory of Elizabeth Reed, just unbelievable guitar playing. And then, you know, once Dwayne died, Dickie kind of stepped to the forefront more he sang their most famous song, "All uh Ramblin Man. Jessica was his song. You had Chuck Lavelle playing the amazing piano on that as well. Uh so they they uh you know and then they had some down years and uh really were were a non-entity into the early eighties and then had a strong comeback in the late eighties, early nineties with Warren Ames joined the band. Who you know formed government mule and had a very successful career uh, beyond the Almond Brothers, and then uh, so they were kind of became this touring juggernaut, you know, playing at the New York City Beacon, especially annual shows, and they became almost like you know Grateful Dead, just one of the live, one of the live bands to see on that jam band scene. So even though their their prime with Dwayne, it was with Dwayne in the early. In the early '70s and late '60s, they had some really admirable comebacks. The latest one with uh, with Derek Trucks, Butch's nephew, an amazing, sly guitar player. Who, you know, unfortunately, they had issues with Dickey, alleged alcoholism. They kicked him out of the band via fax, no less. Uh, you know, pretty ignominious end to a guy who was really a key man, member of the band. But At the time, I thought it was really the end of the band, but I had no idea this kid, Derek Trucks, was so phenomenal. And really, he breathed life into the band again, and they had another uh, excellent comeback, Hitting the Note in uh, 2003. A very good, you know, turned out to be their final studio album, but uh, just an uh, amazing career that, you know, really, you know, had several comebacks and... uh, you know, tremendous band, uh, but Led Zeppelin is is one of the greatest bands of all time. One of the early hard rock bands, uh, you know, the quintessential rock God singer, right? Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, top five of anybody's all time guitarist list, John Bonham, top two or three greatest drummers, John Paul Jones, the secret weapon, great bass player played a great, great keyboards could arrange, uh, you know, later on he did the arrangement of an r e m right automatic for the people uh showed his skills there uh and uh you know very eclectic like as well they were hard rock, but they would do folk and they had the the eastern music with the like Kashmir and you know ten years gone the beautiful ballads like thank you the rain song you know they did the blues obviously, but they did them so heavy and uh you know the the you know the Stairway to Heaven. How can we not mention Stairway to Heaven, right? But, uh, you know, obviously they did a little, uh, they got away with a little bit of thievery with the songwriting credits of which they've gotten a lot of grief about, deservedly so, over the years. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. In in many ways, it was unnecessary, too, on their part. Like, does anyone think Whole Lot of Love is a great song because they cribbed a few lyrics? You know, it it was really more laziness than... uh, than anything. And it was the first couple albums mostly, uh, you know, after that it wasn't as big an issue, although they, you know, the recent Stairway to Heaven lawsuit with the band called Spirit, who I want to plug is an excellent band in their own right. Um, who have also kind of been phased out of classic rock radio, but anyway, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin had their faults, but they were amazing. And one of the greatest bands ever. And as much as I love the Allman brothers, this is a no brainer.
0: It's a no brainer for me as well. I got to go Zeppelin uh, for all the reasons you said. They got a little bit of comeuppance, you know. Um, I do think they're – Overall vibe has taken a hit or two. The more times you know somebody writes about being touched by Jimmy Page or something, you know, uh and then the the same thing. You like them very young. Let's put yes, yes. Well, there's that Beastie Boys line: "If I played guitar, I'd be Jimmy Page because the girlies I like are underage." And on (laughs) the same record, that same Beastie Boys record, they sample
1: Zeppelin, and I don't believe Zeppelin was credited. So. there you go well, it, it, well, no was it it was uh, when the levee breaks, right yeah. which is a phenomenal drum song, you know that is probably bon Bonham's signature drum track um' mm-hmm. stealing right that was the song uh, uh, I think so, yeah, yeah
0: and so you know there you go, you got they, these,
1: they sampled the ocean as well from what I remember, yes, yes,
0: but you yeah. stole and now they're stealing from you so there you
1: go. <laughs> You know, there's a long history of bands stealing. They just got caught. Of course. Uh, they were a little too blatant about it. And, uh, you know, it's a shame uh, because, yeah, like I said, I in some cases I, I think it unnecessary. A song like Bring It On Home, for example, at the beginning is essentially plagiarized. But once they kick into the hard riff, which is when the song really gets good, that's Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. A lot of love riff. That's Jimmy Page, you know. Yeah. So if they would have just credited guys when, where it where deserved, a lot of this grief they get, they, they, wouldn't, get, they wouldn't be getting. Uh, but again, they didn't do that. A song like Dazed and Confused to me is a cover song, and they never credited Jake Holmes. Uh, their version to me is 100 times better than Jake Holmes' version. So I would give them props anyway, but essentially they stole the guy's song and they didn't give him credit, and, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've never made a right. So in many ways, they deserve some of the grief that they get. But, but I do believe it's overblown in the fact that, you know, their greatness would be what it is, regardless of what, if, whether they did that or not.
0: And I agree. And uh, a note or two on the almonds. Number 16 seed, no slouch in anybody's right. I, I think there's a slight argument for Skinner being in this spot um if there was going to be a low seed you know kind of fed to the zeppelin chopping block um
1: that which is let's face it those are the two southern rock bands although i personally have a a fondness for say the marshall tucker band or the outlaws you know those those were the the two southern rock bands uh, of that era and yes skinner was a tough cut not to them among several others like the 60s the 70s was a loaded decade and uh so for the Allman Brothers to be the 16th seed, that that tells you how many good bands were in that decade.
0: I um I saw Warren Haynes with the Dead. Well, not the Dead, but whatever uh, touring iteration that year was of Bob Weir guys with beards. I
1: think they're called the Dead, right?
0: Or Dead? It, it might have been the other ones. No, I think it was Warren Haynes with. Them. There are some parking lot wooks listening that might be upset that uh, I I don't know the name. Glad we've got. <laughs> Glad we got to mention them in both the 60s and the 70s as a spite yeah. for keeping them out. They're haunting our bracket.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we're talking about Derek Trucks again. I want to say, uh, you know, I, I want to recommend his band, Tedesky Trucks, the Tedeschi Trucks band, who I saw live, and, and they're keeping that flame going as an excellent live band.
0: And uh, yeah, I-, I think we can wrap that up. Led Zeppelin Advances. We've got. The number two seed, Pink Floyd, against you want to talk about polar opposites. The number fifteen seed, uh, the boys from Queens, uh, Ramones.
1: Yeah, the Ramones are one of those bands that are, are legends who who never really broke through commercially. They, they're far more respected than they were successful. Um, there's a few songs that everybody knows: "Whitescreen pop, "I Want to Be Sedated." Uh, you know, maybe Rockaway Beach, is a punk rocker, but, you know, and, and believe it or not, the Ramones were always shocked that they were never, that these songs never became huge hits because they were pop songs, essentially. They were, you know, they were punk. They were credited as being the first punk band or one of them, but, you know, they just played really like Chuck Berry and Surf Girl kind of songs at blazing speeds you know they just sped it up and got rid of stuff like guitar souls that they thought were pretentious and you know you know this was the era of you know they were trying to kill all the dinosaur rockers like ELP and you know uh, the prog rockers so you know and Pink said, Floyd and Pink Floyd exactly who were uh, you know not punk uh, not the prog rock per se but certainly related um but you know the Ramones—they peaked on those first four albums. They're considered classics, uh, and I, I personally love them. Uh, they were—they were great songwriters. You know, they weren't limited music, but they didn't need to be great musicians because they played simple songs and they played them very well. Uh, Joey was a—you know—not a classic great singer, but he had that affecting uh, kind of you know emotion in his voice that kind of got to you. You know, some of their best songs I thought were ballads. Believe it or not. Songs like "I Want to Be Your Boyfriend" and questioningly, uh, you know, their cover of "Needles and Pins" uh, was yeah. great, right? And uh, you know, they, you know, sports stadiums, right? Blitzy pop—you can't go to one without hearing it. So they—they they definitely made their mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think they their their quality of their album slipped after those first four. They kind of chased the pop pit a little bit with you know, hooking up with Phil Spector, for example. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, going a little more hardcore later on also. I think, they, you know, the direction was a little more confused at times, but they still did some good songs here and there for sure. Um, you know, if you've never seen their end-of-the-century documentary, I highly recommend it. Uh, it really kind of shows them what they went through. And, the, and it's, it's kind of sad, though, because Joey and Johnny essentially hated each other, yep. which a lot of people don't know. There's a lot of backstory there. And uh, it kind of made me sad that, you know, to, to, to know that. But it was also kind of touching in the documentary where when Joey died, uh, that's another thing. All you know, four of the five main guys, you know, Marky replacing Tommy after the third album. Marky's alive, but the original four are all gone now. And at the time when, when Joey died, you know, Johnny said, you know, I don't know why I feel so sad. You know, we didn't get along. We weren't friends. But then he realized, look, he loved the Ramones and I loved the Ramones and we shared that. So he was yeah. he was bummed by that, you know, because they had that, you know, and that's a strong bond. And uh, the Ramones were were unique, right? Every song they 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 could take any song and make it a Ramone song, right? They had their own style, and it was a little cartoonish. And I think some people thought they were a bit of a joke; it didn't take them seriously. While others thought they were the greatest thing that ever lived, that ever was, because. They totally shook it up, as they say, you know, and and which Rock needed at the time. You know, it had become a bit bloated. And, uh, you know, as Joey said, we gave it a good kick in the ass, and and they did. And uh, props to them. They're legends. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as they should be. They weren't as successful as as maybe they should have been. But, uh, you know, there's a break sometimes, right? Sometimes it's a matter of just being in the right place at the right time, and they never were uh, unlike Pink Floyd, who pretty much dominated the 70s and, and onward, even after uh, Roger Waters left, they were selling out stadiums with his sure. song while he was playing clubs down the block, you know. So it just showed that that brand of Pink Floyd was more than any one member. You know, they started out with Sid Barrett in the 60s, and they were basically this crazy avant-garde, psychedelic band. In the, and some people still like that era of the band best, to be honest with you. I, I personally don't. Uh, my uh, colleague does. He will talk about that shortly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I like it. It's unique. Sid Barrett was, the, was an original. And, uh, you know, he's a little nutty. And that made him unique. And, you know, they were, they had a very cool sound. No one sounded like them. and They were very influential. But to me, the band really peaked. When David Gilmore joined the band, a phenomenal guitar player, he had the... Who has more great guitar songs than David Gilmour? Not not many, right? I mean, how many classics? man, yeah. Yeah, that soulful sound, you know? It just kind of, you could listen to them all day. And Roger Waters was the main, you know, songwriter and conceptualist in the band. You know, these great concept albums. I mean, what a streak they were. You had, to me, well, you had Adam, Our Mother was a number one album in the UK, which was one of the strangest number one albums ever. Cow <laughs> Al on the cover, right? And then you had Metal which was a very underrated great album with Echoes and One of These Days. And then later on, of course, they peaked with Dark Side of the Moon, which was on the charts for, for years. I mean, and and all those songs were all over the radio for for decades after. And then, if anything, Wish You Were Here was was just as great, you know. And uh, and they were one of the pioneering. Uh, album artists, right? You didn't listen to one song. You put on a Pink Floyd album and you listened to from start to finish. And that's how they were meant to be listened to. And we had Animals, didn't get the airplay, but another great album. And The Wall was one of my all-time favorite albums. I was actually obsessed with it at one point. I literally listened to it every day. And uh, it was not a healthy thing to do. So don't do that. <laughs> but you should
0: spend, you should spend a day listening to The Wall.
1: But it was also the turning point where they really became Roger Waters and the other guys became kind of his backing band, you know. Well, that happened to actually start to happen on Animals, but Gilmore was essential too, with you know, with his guitar playing and and his vocals also, because he was actually also the best singer in the band. And Richard Wright was also a good singer and underrated keyboard player. Early on, he was very important. Later on, he was kind of phased out. And Nick Mason was a very good drummer not like showy or anything, but again, he just, like Doug Clifford I mentioned earlier, he always just seemed to play the right part for the song. And, uh, I think even like the uh, the Final Cut I thought was underrated, uh, some great lyrics on that album, uh, not as commercial. And uh, and then when What Is Left to me, it wasn't the same, even though, uh, you know, Gilmore, they were still successful. They had some good songs, High Hopes, obviously, Learning to Fly, The Turning Away, the Vision Bell was a good album, but yeah. to me, they took the name, but to me, it's, it wasn't the same, really. Uh, you know, To me, I think of Pink Floyd is, is really the 1970s, which is the era we're covering here, and they were one of the dominant bands of that era. So as much as I love the Ramones, it's, to me, it's an easy call for Pink Floyd.
0: Yeah, you got to give it to them. Um, animals, Metal, and Wish You Were Here um i've certainly spent some time with and i do want to reiterate everyone should spend a day listening to the wall or watching the wall or listening to a live performance of it more than once but don't go for multiple weeks at a time on that
1: <laughs> um but a great album
0: i i think that kind of very great album but also kind of indicative of i always had this And I probably heard a comedian say this. just felt like it was my own idea. But you wrote a record about being like an alienated person or feeling at odds with something. But like, isn't one of the ways you feel at odds with something is being holed up in a studio and doing a lot of coke? You know, like, I just feel like it's like you're trying to voice something, but you're not actually doing it the right way. I don't know. Well, I know not like a because...
1: rock star wine, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was amazing, yeah. But I also want to say something about The Wall is I think uh, Bob Ezrin really was very influential on the sound, which, which is why you had it, like a lot of more theatrical pieces and, and a much fuller sound with guest musicians and opera in the background and all these weird things going on. So uh, props to Bob Ezrin. He definitely was, uh, was a key player there as well.
0: And, um, I do just enjoy, um, sort of spacing out to like Piper, um, or, or you know, some of the, the, stuff with Sid Barrett and maybe even more of the Sid Barrett solo things like Opal, um, and yeah, just kind I'm of. I'm not
1: familiar like, with his solo stuff. I got to admit that.
0: Yeah. And it's not really something I like, I'll put it on for drives and I'll put it on just kind of like when I want to like close my
1: eyes and listen,
0: which is hokey.
1: Piper and the Gates of Dawn, I, I do like some of the spacey stuff, but then some of the more childlike, uh, whimsical stuff is, is I'm not as into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, trivia, what, what book was that named after? The, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Just a little geeking out again. Uh, yeah. It's The uh, Wind in the Willows. It's, it was a chapter. Oh, yes. Wind in the Willows. Anyway.
0: And the think, Ramones are the Ramones, and I've been in Ramones. I've done Ramones cover sets with members of Deep Pockets. They are a harder band. There's more little key changes than you'd think uh, when you're singing those songs, um, and they certainly, certainly uh, struck a chord with me.
1: Yeah. So Matt is more the punk guy. I'm more the classic rock metal guy. In case you haven't figured that out yet.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that gets us to number three, uh, Elton John, against number fourteen, Van Morrison. And this is a tough
1: one. I think most people would hear those two names and and say definitely Elton John, but I'm going to go against the grain here. I think Van Morrison is one of the giants of modern music. I think. As a solo artist, he's right up there with with anyone you can mention. Dylan, Bowie, Springsteen, um, Elvis. um, And I say most, you know, most, he's been very prolific, right? So uh, almost too prolific, right? Uh, So I'm really mostly focusing on, say, 1968 to 1979. Uh, astral weeks through into the right he he had his own sound he was like this mystical uh you know he had this magical kind of aura about him it's hard to even define an album like astral weeks right i mean it's uh you just have to listen to it he he, he recorded in two days with this jazz combo and just kind of this free flowing uh poetic um uh, you know, songs that were kind of you know sometimes go up to ten minutes long, and he would kind of just you know vibe with with his lyrics, and 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 he was such a great singer. That's enough. He, he I think young Van, and 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 it's interesting because I think him and Elton. Were similar to this they were much better singers when they were younger as they got older they couldn't hit the high notes anymore but when when they were young and they could do the falsettos and well did the falsettos but they to me they're two of the premier vocalists in in rock history and then you know after astral weeks which is one of those albums that really didn't sell but it, it belatedly became what i would call a critics classic right on all the critics greatest albums of all time you'll see astral weeks and you know it's like the velvet underground the people a lot of people didn't buy it but there are a lot of people a few select people who did buy it who will swear it's the greatest album ever sure. And I'm in that you know it's one of my favorite albums of all time if not my favorite it's right up there with the wall which we just talked about and so select a few others and then he went to a more accessible <clears throat> excuse me style with moon dance um Side one of Moondance is perfection. I mean, it's one of the greatest sides ever. You had, you know, and Ennis Stoney, Moondance. Uh, what else was there? Caravan, uh, Crazy Love, Into the Mystic. You know, also that mystical like vibe that he had. And uh, he was just, you know, just a great, uh, he had a great sound. Always had good musicians with him. Um, and then he did a series of other excellent albums like St. Dominic's Preview. Uh, which had a combination of the more accessible and the longer, more free-flowing uh, songs like Listen to the Lion and Almost Independence Day and, and the more pop, like Jackie Wilson said, which was later a hit for Dexie's Midnight Runners. Uh, and then another album, Veed and Fleece, which was this great pastoral summery album, also had, and I'm going to overuse this word mystical cause then the man was, was, you know, that's what summarized them better than anything. And, uh, and then into the music was another classic album, uh, that, you know, not many people may know that it, how great it is. But, uh, to me, he had this 10, 12 year run and a few other albums like Tupelo honey, the title track was brilliant. Uh, you know, uh, wild night domino, other great song, uh, so Van the Man was, was, was phenomenal, and uh, he, you know, he was very prolific after the 70s and, and did a fair amount of good stuff, but I don't think he ever kind of recaptured that greatness. But, you know, he never embarrassed himself, and uh, he was a little hit or miss live, I got to say. I, I saw him once, and he was very disappointing. It was at Jones Beach, and it was raining out, and you could tell he didn't want to be there, and he didn't play the hits that the fans had come to see. So I would give him some demerits for that. I wouldn't see him live again, but I still love those albums. And I do also want to mention the band Them, which is uh, you know, his R and B based uh band Before He Went Soul, like classic songs like Gloria and There Here Comes The Night. Uh, every bar band knows Gloria. And, you know, that was Van Morrison's song. So I wanna kinda of give him props for that as well. Um, Elton John, who is a legend, let's be honest. You know, Rocket Man was recently uh a movie, right, about him. I still haven't seen it yet, but I know, you know, a fair amount about him. Um, You know, that partnership with Barney Taupin was uh, very prolific, right? I mean, he he dominated the 70s. I think he had seven straight number one albums or something like that. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's unheard of. And, and even you know, he's kind of known as a singles artist, but he made great albums. You You know, they were a little, maybe not as great as Van's best albums, but they were great. And he had a great band you know, look behind any soul artist, and you'll, you, there's a lot of unsung great musicians. And, and Elton had a, a first-class band. Bernie Taupin obviously wrote all the lyrics and deserves a lot of the credit. You know, it was a true partnership. Elton was a great piano player, phenomenal singer. Um, again, uh, how many, you know, as far as the public consciousness, he's definitely far more ingrained than then. you know rocket man you know tiny dancer which you know became used again after almost famous uh with that scene when they were all singing it right and uh <laughs> just so many uh classic songs he had again i i think you know after the 70s he wasn't quite the same as far as his quality he kind of hurt himself with maybe becoming known as you know your grandma's music with the disney soundtracks and the princess diana tribute and so forth he became cool, you know, but uh he's a legend for sure. And this is a tough call. I'm going to go with Van because personally, I you know, his best albums just resonate with me a little bit more. And I want to kind of, I tend to kind of stump for the underrated. And I, I do believe Van is definitely underrated and, and very well deserving of advancing.
0: That's very well said on both accounts. Uh Tupelo Honey by Van Morrison is always uh been a big one for me, Astral Weeks as well. Um, so this could be our first upset, it Because yeah, Elton John's the number three seed, right? And uh,
1: big upset, 14 seed.
0: You know, but the thing is Elton John's huge, but Van there's sort of uh, there's an importance level to him that Elton only had in parts of his I I think Elton had it. But Van, like, you can't put a Van Morrison album on and, like, roll your eyes
1: whereas Elton later on, uh, I think you could. Um... Maybe the, the whole Liberace get-ups and the ridiculous costumes maybe hurt him more than help him over the long haul reputation-wise, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, I kind of, I dig that a little bit, or just like doing you, but then what is you? You know, we we talk about Pink Floyd being a little overblown, and maybe Elton possibly had a kind of a similar thing there. Um, Whereas Van was, and I think, while you might not have enjoyed the show, the fact that he didn't particularly deliver that great, because he didn't feel like it. We're talking about we want somebody that's them. Well, Van Morrison is Van Morrison, regardless. Um, and Elton, all those tours with Billy Joel, who I, Long Island, born and raised and can tip a cap to him, but I don't consider him to be an artist. And I do
1: think that kind of makes Elton lose his luster a little. Uh, and Bill and Joel did not make these brackets, so no, uh,
0: no he didn't well, did not. Actually,
1: I think he may have made the 80s. I've been them. around in the 80s, no, yes, he is. He he is. Shoehorn he's just too popular not to include, but uh, and I don't, I don't think hits. that's going last very long.
0: Yeah, he's got <laughs> some hits, I like, I, and I that's fine, we'll leave it at that. Um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was a staple, um, in my house in certain parts, and I do remember that record for sure. Um, obviously, Tiny Dan, uh But even like, like now it's all over Danny Bailey, you know? like But, but that's more of like personal connections with, with, with certain tracks. And Van Morrison, Gloria sets the tone for a certain style of punk when Patti Smith kind of takes it and completely knocks it on its ass. But it's still the same yeah. song and that's that a
1: opening line right jesus died for somebody's sins but not that's mine fine. yeah man but that's an that's what. that's a good point you make about just the importance See, like van it feels like a hundred years from now we'll we'll be talking about astral weeks i'm not sure we'll be talking about Elton John in, in that regard is is legendary as he is and good you good point goodbye albric road was his signature album Though so my personal favorite was an earlier album called Tumbleweed Connection. I would highly recommend that one as well.
0: I have that, and that brings us to our next matchup, I think. So let's just solidify that. Van Morrison is advancing over Elton James, And I, I have the record Tumbleweed Connection, and I believe it belonged to my mother. Um, and another artist who I have many, many records of that all belonged to my mother is Emmanuel Young and he's ranked number four, um, and he's going against uh, a band that uh, my mother has quite the affinity for by the name of the Eagles. So number four against number 13, two big favorites for Diana Brennan. Um, I might be in trouble if she's ever listening.
1: Funny because I discovered Neil Young as well through my mother after the Gold Rush. I remember that cassette in her car and loved it, loved his voice. On songs like "After the Gold Rush," uh, Neil's had a, an unbelievable career. Um, to me, he's an easy winner here, um, and I'll explain why. You know, he started out in Buffalo, Springfield. Um, you know, obviously some big hits, and he had her songs there, like "Expecting to Fly," "Broken Arrow," "Mr. Soul." Uh, then he, you know, he went solo. He really hit Peter when he joined Crazy Horse for his second album. Everybody knows this is "Nowhere." That's the one with his dog on the cover. And this is where he, uh, you know, he really kind of found that electrified kind of jam sound, you know, very simple, you know, like, you know, that famous one-note solo in Cinnamon Girl and, and epic songs like Down by the River and uh, Cowgirl on the Sand. And I love the title track also, uh, you know, just great songs. And, and there's a f- great anecdote to that as well that I, I heard that he wrote, Three main songs: "Cinnamon Girl," "Down by the River," and uh, "Car Girl on the Sand." While he was bedridden with a hundred-three fever, all in one day. Like you know, those are the kind of things that you know, divine you know, intervention, right? And then he, you know, after the Gold Rush is, uh, you know, along with Harvest, that's where he really kind of became a superstar as far as the number one albums and "Heart of Gold" was a hit and and then you know he had the famous saying you know uh, he hit the middle of the road which became a bore so he headed for the ditch which he wrote in his uh retrospective yep. decade and he, so he went on kind of a crazy uh self-destructive way with with albums that were much less commercial but brilliant in their own way like tonight's the night and on the beat and then uh, he reformed with crazy horse um, you know, actually, I want to mention Crazy Horse, their first self-titled album called Crazy Horse. It's, I would highly recommend that. That's where Rod Stewart's song, uh, I Don't Want to Talk About It, came from. Uh-huh. Originally. And uh, they were very talented. They could have been a big band even without Neil Young, but Danny Whitten overdosed, unfortunately. And he was the main uh, songwriter, singer, guitar player in that band. And he was replaced by Frank P- uh San Pedro, and yes. uh, Daisy Horse was reformed, and they, they rejoined Neil Young on Zuma, another great album, Cortez the Killer. You know, he had just another great uh, you know, Like a Hurricane, another classic song. Russ Never Sleeps, another great album. And then he hit the 80s, and he kind of lost his way with Geffen, and you know, all these experimental... There's notes for you, right? notes for you, these genre exercises. So he definitely had his ups and downs. Like Van, he kind of always... Find, follows his muse regardless. Uh, you know there were some dalliances with Crosby, Stills, and Nash along the way, of course. Uh, Ohio, a classic single, you know, wrote, written about the Kent State controversy mm-hmm. and the you know the tragedy that happened there. Um, and then the 80s to me was a lost decade for Neil Young to an extent, but then he he kind of rediscovered his muse with the uh, Freedom in 19. 19- 89 with Rockin' in the Free World, and then rehooked up with Crazy Horse with a great album called Ragged Glory, and then kind of hit a second peak, really, with albums like Harvest Moon and uh, uh, Sleeps with Angels. And uh, And to me, you know, after that, he had consistent, you know, releases. You know, he, to me, he, uh, you know, he peaked, he had the two peaks, really, that I, I consider really. If I'm listening to Neil Young, I'm listening to those 70s albums or those 90s albums 95% of the time. But he's done some other good stuff. But he's a little inconsistent. But he's done so much great stuff that it kind of, like Dylan, overwhelms, you know, some of the lesser stuff that he's done. Uh, you know, onto the Eagles. Uh, you know, they're, to me, they're you know, a funny band, right? They were never critics' favorites, really. Um, they were you know, considered smarmy and sexist and yet they outsold everybody. So like, you know, from a radio perspective, they're, you know, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't escape them. I think the Greatest Hits album is, if not the greatest, sell, biggest selling album ever right there mm. with Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is really insane to think about. Hotel California was obviously the peak, uh, you know, that was a massive album. That song is inescapable. Uh, but they had a lot of other hits. They were very talented, don't get me wrong. They had two talented singer-songwriters, Don Henley, Glenn, Glenn Fry. Um, You know, later on, they had Joe Walsh, great guitar player. Bernie Lennon was more country early on and a very good finger picker. And then replaced, uh, you know, they had Don Felder, another very good guitar player. But I just don't feel they had the overall consistency in their albums and uh you know, some of the, the criticisms they had, they were a little bland at times, they were a little sexist at times, they were a little too full of themselves, which if you saw the Eagles documentary, you, 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 that comes across pretty clear. You know, they were the band that basically ushered in ridiculous uh, concert ticket prices when they when they did that 94 uh, comeback with, uh, what was it called, Hell Freezes Over? Hell
0: Freezes Over,
1: yeah. $300 for tickets, you know, that's, you know, a little exorbitant anyway, uh so I, I have my issues with the Eagles, but I, I do think they had a lot of great songs and were very talented. But to me, Neil Young is, is definitely several notches above them.
0: I um, thought I had a personality in my younger years. And because of the movie Big Lebowski, I would claim to hate the Eagles. Because in the movie Big Lebowski, he, there's the line yeah. about I hate the fucking Eagles. However, <laughs> I think I love the Eagles. And um, I think I was lying to myself for a couple of years. Uh, definitely grew up with them. One of uh, my mom's favorites, and she'd sing all their stuff. Um, but then one of my earliest musical memories is hearing the song Like a Hurricane and hearing my mom sing along with it. Uh, that particular song, um, the way that that was recorded in Neil Young's one of the either Ghost Road or Road. I, He was just kind of playing it over and over again, trying to like the band was trying to get it down. And that's why it sort of just kind of starts. So like they were just playing it, playing it, playing it. And the dude just hit record at the right time. And like you hear that. It's like it's in the middle of it already.
1: Yeah, he's all about being spontaneous. Uh, So that's another thing I didn't talk about was Neil Young. His vocals are a bit of an acquired taste for some people. You know we've mentioned that about a few people but again i feel like vocals have a lot of character they're uniquely his and and his guitar playing also not technically proficient maybe but there was just something about it that raw intensity uh, that he brought it was uh it was really something else he's one of my favorite guitar players actually uh the eagles um uh, you know, I want to talk about also some of the other guys like Timothy Schmidt sang one of my favorite Eagles songs. I can't tell you why. Mm. Randy Meisner, you know, he's had that those high-pitched backing vocals. Take It to the Limit it was uh, a huge song. That, that was him singing it. So the Eagles were really talented. They had a multitude of, you know, they, they all brought a lot to the table, essentially, even though Henley and Fry were the main guys. Um I just think there's a little bit of a boredom factor to some of the Eagles stuff that uh, that makes me swing to Neil. Their best stuff doesn't hit me like Neil's does.
0: And that brings us to number five, David Bowie against number twelve.
1: Yes, I personally love Yes. I mean, to me, they are like when I think of progressive rock, I think of Yes. You know, they, uh, you know, certain other bands too, King Crimson, Genesis, Rush, uh, but Yes to me were the quintessential progressive rock band they uh they you know each guy was a virtuoso at their instrument you had steve howe phenomenal guitar player yes chris squire one of the great bass players you had uh, bill bruford was just a brilliant drummer um different keyboard players tony Kay, rick wakeman is among the flashiest and greatest with you know with uh, emerson um you know, from elp Um, I think in the 70s, they, you know, albums like the Yes album, Fragile, Close to the Edge, which in my opinion was their peak. You know, they're they're often, the critics at the time didn't like progressive rock, even though it was wildly popular at the time. You know, they would call it pretentious and this and that, you know. You have an album with only three songs, you know, it's like uh, 20-minute songs. But if you actually listen to their albums, they're not just, you know, jamming to show off. They're playing with each other. And uh, it all fits. And uh, to me, they were amazing uh, in their prime. I think what happened, though, is, you know, they, you know, they became more commercial as they hit the 80s. And, and you know, Steve Howe left and Trevor Raven came. And, and then it was just too many different lineups. And they kind of lost the way. with that. I think, you know, their, their later years really didn't really enhance their reputation much. You know, to me, yes... Is about the seventies for the most part, and even in the seventies, tales of topographic, tales of topographic oceans, right, or from topographic oceans, was was a bit of a misfire. Mm-hmm. In, in, uh, so, but their best stuff was so good, uh, you know, incredible musicianship. John John Anderson is another one of those acquired taste singers that I keep mentioning that that high pitched vocals and his lyrics, you know, most people didn't think made any sense, you know, so. Maybe in that respect, you didn't have that emotional connection to their music, their lyrics. But as far as musicianship and, and great music, you know, like song like Close to the Edge, Starship Trooper, Yours is No Disgrace, you know, the people, Roundabout, uh, Heart of the Sunrise, uh, and you and I, these are phenomenal songs. They really are. They could only be played by Yes. You don't hear a lot of Yes cover songs, you know. Um, they did a good cover song of Simon and Garfunkel's America I don't know if you've ever heard that
0: oh, I'd, have to, I'd have to do some research
1: there well, it's um, 10 minutes long
0: <laughs> I know a little about yes I have not really dove in um, I've always intended to there have been various recommendations uh, throughout See,
1: this, the years is that he's the punk rocker punk rockers by nature hate progressive rock
0: well, but I like, I like a bit of progressive rock. I, I like, uh, some stuff, but
1: he, I'm, I'm uh, pigeonholing him here. And so that wasn't very fair. Go ahead. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, so who was the opponent? David Bowie, right? So David Bowie. again, Bowie is one of those, those giants, right? But I, I, he's a little like Neil Young to me in that he was brilliant for the seventies, lost his way a little bit. And then kind of had the late career comeback, you know, uh, but '70s stuff was so so good and, and so varied. You had the the you know I, people don't give him credit for being one of the early hard rockers, but listen to the album The Man Who Sold the World, and, and a song like Wits of a Circle. It's hard, it's a hard rock song. It's almost heavy metal. And, and then you had the spiders from Mars, and you know his backing band. And the, he was the main glam rock guy of that glitter rock era, right, with T Rex and Mark Bolin and and Sweet and Mata Hoople and those bands, and, uh, and Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, and Hunky Dory. They're, they're really brilliant albums. And then he went to the plastic soul period of, uh, of young Americans. And then he hooked up, hooked up with Eno and got more experimental and very European uh, with the synthesizers on Brilliant albums like Station to Station. Well, that was pre, you know, but but a great album. And then the Berlin trilogy with Eno, with uh, with Low, which is an album. And then Heroes, which to me is his greatest song of all. Uh, and it shows what a great singer he was. Also, these Life on Mars, another great vocal performance earlier on. Uh, you know, it, he, and his vocal styles were so different. You compare his voice on Ziggy to his young American's voice; it almost sounds like a different guy. Yet. He made it all work. And then, like many people, he kind of lost his way in the 80s. Uh, Scary Monsters from 1980, another very good album. Um, You know, he had great guitar players, too. I want to mention that. Nick Ronson, a whole bunch of guys, um, blanking out. Ricky Gardner, um, you had uh, Robert Fripp, Adrian Bellow, these guys. Uh, Carlos Alomar, uh, Slick, what was his first name? Uh, Earl Slick. Uh, So, you know, I don't think any solo artist got more great guitar performances than Bowie. He had Mike Garson on piano on like Aladdin Sane, it was phenomenal. Uh, Rick Wakeman from Yes played on uh, Hunky Dory. So again, like I said, all great solo artists have unsung heroes behind them and Bowie had more than most and he was really a chameleon, you know, he could assimilate these different styles briefly, master them and then go on to something else. You know, he, was, he he could play guitar a little bit. He could play saxophone, you know. So he was a musician as well as, uh, as just a singer-songwriter. And uh, like I said, he lost his way in the 80s like a lot of 60s and 70s artists did. But uh, I think he came back strong in the 90s. And then I think he exited with one of his best albums, Black Star, which was released right as he was basically about to die. And uh, a very powerful final statement that, that, if anything, just reminded everybody of what a legend we lost when, uh, when he departed. So uh, I would give this to David Bowie uh, with all due respect to Yes, who I absolutely love.
0: Well, Onward by Yes. Uh, Sun, Kill Moon, Mark Kozlik, uh, very, very good cover. Um, in fact, was considered uh, to be a possible wedding song for Courtney and I. Oh, wow. I got
1: to check that out. I don't think I know that. What album was it on?
0: Um, there's a couple versions of it. I, I don't know off the top of my head. He was also asked to play it in a movie. Um, some of his record where he talks about making a movie with, uh, in Italy and in Sweden. Um, so it might be in a film, too. but I'll send you the link, uh, after that.
1: What do you, th- what, what is it, What are your thoughts on Bowie? Big fan?
0: On Bowie?
1: Yeah.
0: He advances for sure right so um he advances over yes i very much enjoy some of the 80s I, I think um modern love is one of his best
1: yeah you know i was really thinking of post uh let's dance really like okay. you know the albums after that but that's a good point yeah i would say through 83 so okay yeah. Yeah, yeah. agree
0: um But, you know, I I think both him, it's going to be a really interesting matchup, not to look ahead, but Bowie's advancing, Neil Young is advanced. They have similar, where there's lulls that some people consider lulls, but, like, the Ditch trilogy for Neil Young can stand on its own against a lot of others, you know? Well,
1: that's one of those things, like the Kinks, where they were some of his best albums, but they didn't sell. And, you know, it's really just the hardcore fans and the critics that, that know about them and love them, you know.
0: Yeah. But with Bowie, I think "Heroes" is one of my favorite songs, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, with Bowie, "Station to Station" is great. I oh, do, I, love that I do think he could hop genres, right? Like, like we were saying, I, I, I do think that that's a positive thing. But it also I think it could be technically held against as it's more of like a trend hopping, you know, like, like, is it I'm thinking to do this or I'm doing it to remain relevant or, you know, I don't know.
1: No, that's a good point. You could detract some points of originality saying he's just jumping on the bandwagon and there's some merit to that. But the fact that he did it so well, I think uh, is really the main thing that matters there.
0: For sure, for sure. And, and uh, vocally, I believe he's uncredited on Satellite Love, or maybe he's even credited, but I think. Yeah, well,
1: he, that's another thing. He was a basically, you know, he produced Lou Reed. He, he basically saved Mata Hoopo with writing their greatest song, All the Young Dudes. And he resurrected the careers of uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges as well when he produced. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then he produced the first two Iggy Pop solo albums, which were almost like duet, not duet, in that uh, he didn't sing them. He sang backing, like he said, but he co-wrote most of those songs. So it shows how prolific and extraordinary he was in the 70s, that not only did he have his own solo career, but he was such a played such a big role in these the career of these other legends as well.
0: Yeah. Well, we still have some further talk to do on Mr. Bowie. Um... Or Mr. Jones, actually, right? Wasn't his real they name? Jones.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think they changed it due to a certain monkey.
0: Uh-huh. Now, why aren't the monkeys on this bracket? I mean, can't there be an argument for them?
1: They could be. They just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> they the monkeys all these years later. They, uh, I actually like them a lot like who do you bump from the sixties to put them on though? That's yeah, rock. yeah. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they
0: ride Hendrix because isn't there a relationship there? I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, Jimi Hendrix opened for the Monkees, which didn't go over very well with his with the Monkees' Tina Bopper fan base. Well, yeah,
0: a win for Jimmy is a win for uh, was it Mickey Dolan or something?
1: Yeah, that's the singer. That's the drummer slash singer. That's another thing. We can make a list of the greatest singing drummers. Don Henley, right?
0: (laughs) We got LeVon. So six seed Queen against the number 11 seed Van Halen.
1: So this is, you know, Queen has really kind of become much bigger after the movie, right? I mean, they're a legendary band, but I think their profile increased dramatically after the success of their movie and, you know, the actor winning the, the best uh best actor oscar i love both these bands uh queen are another one of those bands that the critics really were not fond of you know they were hugely successful but they were too you know showy i guess and too uh i don't even know what the word is uh they were too flamboyant maybe uh too pretentious and they're you know a little cartoonish with the vocals sometimes Mm uh but Freddie Mercury was one of the great singers of all time. Brian May was one of the great guitar players. Again, and, and the drummer, uh, was a Deacon? No, he was the bass player. Taylor was the drummer. They, they were great, too. And they all wrote, um, you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, one of those songs that every so often just gains new life, right? Wayne's World that became this huge hit all over again. It's one of those iconic songs that, it's just so unique. Like, who could do that besides Queen, right? So, you know, Queen had, to me, a series of great albums in the 70s. I really like their early albums, which didn't have the hits. The first two albums, for example. And, uh, you know, they were hard rock. They were pop. They were pretty much anything, really. Um, I think they, like many bands, slipped a little bit in the 80s. Popularity-wise, certainly they did. The Flash Gordon thing was... Uh, Kind of hokey, right, bicycle race was kind of weird, <laughs> you know? but uh they were great, and uh you know they finished really strong with innuendo a, a great album uh, they made as he as uh you know Freddie was dying of AIDS, and uh what a way to go out really showed that they were really far from the spend force had he lived and, and what a loss it was when he uh, he departed uh However, I'm going to go with Van Halen, you know, as as legendary as Queen is. You know, it's like Hendrix. You had before Hendrix and after Hendrix. The same is true as Eddie Van Halen, right? I mean, nobody played guitar like him before, and afterwards, everybody played guitar or tried to. You know, and you had David Lee Roth, who became a bit of a punchline later on. But for those first six albums, he was as great a frontman as rock and roll has ever seen. Underrated as a singer too, back in the early days, you know he had those screams and the yelps and kind of a smooth voice at times with songs like "Dance the Night Away." Um, you know, Alex Van Halen, you know, listen to "Hot for Teacher," right? That drum intro, great drummer. He <laughs> had those backing vocals, were essential uh, to me. As great as Van Halen were, you know, those first six albums were great. Diving Down" maybe the the weakest of that bunch with the you know excessive cover too. But, you know, the debut, Fair Warning, 1984, all great, great albums. So a little on the short side of those albums. They're all like, you know, early 30 minutes, maybe, you know, 32 minutes. So a little skimpy, but it was a different era before the CD generation, you know. And, you know, it's hard for me to think of Van Halen and not think of what could have been, though, because, you know, their ego has gotten away. You know, David Lee Roth left the band, and, and it was never really the same as that, and Sammy Hagar, they actually had more success with people don't realize. They did four number one albums in a row with Sammy and fifty one fifty I thought it was a very good album. But but that fun, that this is a party and you're here to party with us kind of vibe that Van Halen had, they didn't have with Sammy. You know, it was still good. But to me, they, they lost what made them really legendary, you know. And then they had to the come back later on without Michael Anthony, which really rubbed me the wrong way. They screwed him over. But I actually liked the comeback album. Uh, it was better than I expected it to be. Uh, again, you know, the one the, the album with Gary Sharon, the extreme singer, was, was kind of a misfire. Uh, so a lot of lost opportunities. You know, when you think Van Halen, to me, it's really about – that first era with Diamond Dave. And I think that was influential and great enough to, to warrant them ever so narrowly beating Queen and advancing
0: We got an upset here. I mean, I grew up loving Queen, was a Wayne's World kid for sure. I had the Greatest Hits cassette. Um, I remember briefly like watching that, that tribute concert after Freddie Mercury passed. Um, I remember the the These Are the Days of Our Lives video where he like whispers, "I still love you," and the dude's dying in the studio when he's singing this. Like,
1: and let's, let's some... mention Live Aid also, right? I mean, of
0: course, yeah. yeah.
1: That biggest, was the big performance of all time, you know, on on the biggest stage you can imagine, right?
0: Yeah, just complete showman, and just could deliver at the drop of a hat. And see, you know.
1: Yeah, and we mentioned uh, how Blitzkrieg Bop is played at every sporting event. How about We Will Rock You? Of course. Right? You know, course. other songs, My Best Friend, you know, Somebody to Love. What a vocal performance that was.
0: I mean, Probably one of his best, uh, I think, Somebody to Love. And, um, you know, uh, Metallica, they did a cover of, I believe, Stone Cold Crazy they did. on Garage mm-hmm. Inc., and yeah. that rips, and then the original rips just as hard. Yeah, that they, is.
1: You can do hard rock, absolutely. I mean, Freddie wasn't a hard rock singer, but they, they could be pretty darn heavy, absolutely. Um, tough call. I mean, uh, both bands to me are, are, are great, great bands. It's uh, one. Of, sometimes you got to make these tough calls, right?
0: Well, I mean, I have plenty to say about Van Halen, it but. They are headed towards a matchup with Van Morrison. So we'll leave some of my Van Halen takes till the Battle of the Vans, maybe next week. But I will say all you've got from Queen, but you put on Dance the Night Away and those harmonies and Van Halen is advancing. Just the the high-pitched baby babies in that song. That's enough for me. And I've got much more than that. right,
1: well. Well, look forward to hearing that then,
0: <laughs> and that brings uh, number seven and number ten, Bruce Springsteen from Asbury Park, New Jersey, allegedly um against the clash.
1: Well, this is another one where I disagreed with the seating. I would have had Bruce much higher, and as a result, you can see who's going to win this matchup. Uh, <laughs> Bruce is, to me, one of the all-time greats. I mean, started out, you know, as one of those many new Bob Dylans. He really became the first Bruce Springsteen, you know. Uh, he, you know, he had a great way with words. He had a great band, R&B bass music early on. Uh, a great album that that the diehards know, but really didn't have a lot of radio hits, aside from Rosalita which I don't even think was a hit, but became a classic rock radio station, you know, staple later on. And, and concert favorite was the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, which was very influenced by Van Morrison. And, and just the, just the, the poetic, uh, the the words of this guy who was 20-something, 23, 24 years old. Uh, is really amazing. And... Uh, songs like new York City serenade and incident on fifty seventh street which is like west side story uh you know updated uh these urban dramas where the storytelling was was phenomenal and and he took you to that asbury boardwalk man he he just it's it, it put you there um with the Danny federici's or you know accordion sounds and then he went to Born to run, which was his master you know he, i think the stated goal was uh to, to take the lyrics of Bob Dylan to match to the, the, the splendor of the, the music of Phil Spector. And I think he accomplished that with songs like Born to Run, obviously, Thunder Road, "Backstreets," Jungle Land. These are songs that, that really, um, you know, were key to his, his catalog. And then he kind of went through a dark period where he sued his manager and got more cynical and uh, couldn't record for a number of years. And then, you know, those are legendary tours where he couldn't really tour but he would kind of tour locally and uh you could see some of these on youtube like the nine minute version of prove it all night where he just rips on guitar very underrated guitar player and uh, you know darkness on the end of town was a different bruce He was uh, more world weary more cynical uh he became known as the working class man really uh and uh, another great album a little different but also great and by now he had his E street band who I have to mention because they were so important to his greatness and the big man, Clarence Clemens, uh, you know, the professor, uh, Roy Baton, Mighty Max Weinberg, you know, Danny Federici, uh, Gary Tallent, you know, just so such a maybe the greatest backing band of, of them all, really. And. And they're what made him such a great live band, that and his energy. They, I said that Who is was the greatest live band ever earlier, and really Bruce, to me, is right there with them. And, you know, they, they he, he continued, like Nebraska, right? I mean, he, he made this basically stark solo acoustic album that when he was, you know, could have made a totally different album and it would have sold 10 times more records, but he was a true artist, and it was a great album for what it was, and then he blew up... And at his peak commercially with Born in the USA, right? Well, that's when he became a stadium rocker. And then, you know, he, he kind of downsized from that, I think, uh, and made more low key albums. And, and in the 90s, you know, I said a lot of 60s and 70s artists weren't as good be the 80s. I think his down period was the 90s. Um, you know, he, you know, Ghost of Tom Joe, the, the two albums he released at once without the issue band not that exciting and i actually saw that tour that, and it was actually very good but it wasn't the issue band who i saw like five years ago when he played for four hours and it was one of the greatest shows i've ever seen It was like no comparison uh so but i think he came back strong with the rising which was the nine eleven album which really kind of resonated with a lot of people and and some other late career comeback albums like magic uh and you know he had the broadway show which was a big success so you know just his longevity what he's done and and i gotta say his lyrics just just touch me as much as any anybody you know he, he he's known for singing about cars and all this but like Bruce said is uh i think you could hear my dog but <laughs> is uh he sings about the people in those cars and really just a song like the river is just so devastatingly emotional and uh there was something like Highway Patrolman, in the Wolf of Nebraska, which is just a the in there. You can see why Johnny Cash wanted to cover it. And to me, he, he's got it all, really. He's got the classic songs, classic albums, the longevity, and the live performances. Uh, again, his voice is not for everybody. Uh, and I think people who don't like Bruce or say they don't like Bruce, a lot of them don't know every facet of Bruce. There's many different Bruce Springsteens, and you just a lot of them just know "Dancing in the Dark" or whatever they have heard on the radio. "Hungry Heart," and I would advise them to dig deeper because you know some of the some of those other Bruce's may be to your liking because um, I know I love them. The Clash, are a band uh, I've I've always had a lot of respect for. I've, they're a great band. I, you know, I think critically they're a little overrated. Personally. Um, I think they were great. The, the first album was uh, you know, one of the classic punk albums. Great energy. There's two versions of it that people argue which is better the UK or the US version. I, I would go with the US version because uh, you know, it just had better songs in my opinion. Even if yeah, it wasn't.
0: You're losing like Protex Blue or you know,
1: whatever. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't as punk. You know The punk purists like the UK one. But uh, to me it had better overall songs. I actually think their second album is underrated give them enough rope. That was the one produced by Sandy Perlman and people didn't like, it was a more, you know, less punk, more hard rock kind of straightforward sound. But I thought the songs are great. Uh, Again, just a really good song. London Calling was, was their peak. Let's face it. It it showed they weren't just a punk band. They they could do any style and make it work. And, and they did. And they, they were really phenomenal. And that's when they, you know, to me, you know, that was their peak as far as artists. I, I, where i disagree with matt is i think they they kind of those i liked them up until then and i, I really wasn't a fan of what came after that for the most part San was a three album record that i thought would have been a good single album you know they just went too far from their roots you know they tried to become a reggae band like if i want to hear reggae i'll put on bart Marley. i don't need to hear the clash and try to be a reggae band and you know the other one comeback Rock, had some great songs a few but overall Again, I thought it could have been a great EP, but it was too much filler. And, uh, and I just, the whole only band that matters and, and the way the critics always loved them so much kind of, you know, it kind of annoyed me that whole way the critics always loved the punk bands and hated heavy metal. And I was more a male guy, so the, the Clash kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, they were great. The only band that matters, give me a break. Uh, I also was never a fan of Joe Strummer's voice. He sounds like he's always fighting a cold. You know, uh, he, he definitely was a great lyricist in the heart of the band, but I thought Mick Jones had a better voice and should have sang more. And he was the best musician in the band, too. And I mean, I think doesn't really get the credit he deserves. Uh, Chris Strummer was such a, a presence, you know. And a uh, great drummer, too, Topper Heaton. Um, um, you know, Paul Simonon, uh, also a key member, obviously. Uh, not as key as the other guys, in my opinion. But um, he, you know... A key member as well, and you know the Clash were a great band. I, I don't want to, you know, diss them too bad. I just don't uh, think that it's you know particularly close with uh, with Bruce. I think they they had a great initial run, a great peak, and then they petered off, and then they broke up. And so the overall legacy to me doesn't really compare to what Bruce has done. I know Matt disagrees, so he's going to you walk.
0: It's it's not necessarily disagreeing. Because Bruce is in my bone, and Bruce is one of my favorite artists, or The Clash. Um, Bruce advances. He has the longevity. He has the popularity. um, And he evolved in a way that The Clash were never able to because they split. Um, I like every era of Bruce, and I've got plenty to say about him uh, for this particular one uh lost in the flood is an all-timer for me sherry darling and uh on the the tracks record the thunderclap that yeah.
1: song yeah. and that was from those wild and the innocent and shuffle sessions
0: yep. um, so but like even wild. early on he had something and he just kept building on it and different styles and approaches. Not what anybody ever really thinks he is. Like you said, he's just writing about cars. No, he's got the people in there. And he's writing about America. And it's not necessarily the prettiest picture at any time. And he's allowing that and kind of giving that warts and all feel um, to what he sees. And I, I do appreciate him a great deal. But I think The Clash offered a very, very, very strong warts and all scene as well uh, to what they were writing about and putting about. Um, I would argue at this stage of my life that Mick Jones is the only relevant member of The Clash. Um, I, I could listen to Stay Free off of Give Enough Rope on repeat. Um, but this is personal stuff, you know. Um, I used to rent the movie Rude Boy from a local video store, and it's not even all that good, but it's basically um, the Clash recording give given up rope. But it's through, it's like almost fictitious, like there's like a character in it as well, and he's going to see the Clash play, so there's live footage, and it's sort of the plot, but there's all this studio stuff of them in America, I believe, uh, recording give them, enough, give them Enough Rope, and this was, to me, because I was able to get, you know, the first record, and my parents had Combat Rock. We called them the Armadillo Band because of the video Rock the Kasbah. Um, And I was able to order London Calling, and for some reason, I couldn't find Give Him Enough Rope. Now, I'm not, like, complaining about, like, in my day, we had to order records. Like, I just, it it just wasn't in every store. So, but when I did finally get a CD of Give Him Enough Rope, I was like, this is the one. This is from Rude Boy. This is, this is the shit. So, for me, Give Him Enough Rope, while definitely sort of knocked catalog, It it means a lot, Uh, specifically that Stay Free song. Um, And Sandinista, yes, it's overblown. Yes, it's got a lot going on, but there are some excellent, excellent observations. And maybe they're not even songs, but just little riffs about, like, not every punk record delivered certain sentiments and ideas about life and the way classes work. Um, In the way that Joe Strummer. So it's a little bit sentimental. In my later years, I appreciate Mick Jones more and I do kind of think that Joe is a little full of shit. um, And just kind of like trying to get over by being political. Um, I, I've heard stories that like, originally I'm so bored with the USA was Mick Jones writing a love song or a dejected love song about I'm so bored with you and Joe said, oh, add USA, it'll be more controversial, you know, so yeah. there's that little Mark, Malcolm McLaren. Uh, I, I agree.
1: I agree with that. I've heard that too, it, which is why a guy like John Lyndon didn't really have much use for him from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um. um and I don't like how they people make believe that "Cut the Crap" never existed. <laughs> <laughs> I make
0: believe it never existed. Which is um, the
1: last album without Mick Jones, for those. Yeah, who that's knows.
0: that's yes, that's Joe. The Str- "Cut the Crap" is basically Joe Strummer, um, with a with a with scabs. Um, they're just there's like, crap. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, hey, this is England is on there. I, you know, I, I mean, there's, I I could go to bat for it, but only to an extent.
1: I guess it's kind of like The Doors without Jim Morrison and The Velvet Underground without Lou Reed,
0: you know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um but Mick Mick was the musician. Um Mick was upset about how mixed down uh Combat Rock was. Uh Mick wanted there's other versions of that record that are more meandering than not not more so than Sandinista, but definitely more than that that was. Uh, Rat Patrol at Fort Bragg is this bootleg that was supposed to be combat rock. And there's different versions of a couple songs. There's a longer version of Straight to Hell. Um, there's some stuff with uh, Ranking Roger from the English Beat, sort of toasting and scatting over what became uh, uh, Rock the Casbah. And that's some of my favorite stuff. Um, it Never Saw the Light of Day. Um but yeah, I mean, just the fact that in maybe four years, they churned out, and maybe they're not the only band that matters, but... Uh,
1: they certainly did matter, and it's think, worth noting that their biggest album was their last one, you know, with with Mick Jones, and, and had they stayed together, they may have achieved a, a much bigger level of success even, and, yeah. and really gone on to legendary status. I just don't think... You know when you compare the catalogs, uh, you know I think Bruce has to advance.
0: Sure, and I, I one final note. I, I do think that Bruce would admit to this, um, and he has said as much publicly that the Clash made him better.
1: Uh, well, Bruce got political later on. I think yeah. too much so, though, to be honest with you. That's that's the least last thing I least thing I like about Bruce. Really, well, uh, maybe don't let look at you know, but uh, but yeah,
0: the Clash made Bruce better. And that says something, but I think it also speaks highly of Bruce because he allowed himself to be made better. Not just by The Clash, but like this dude's on tour in 2007 covering suicide to a bunch of people that want to hear Born in the USA. And he took what was
1: happening and, I love that cover too, "Dream Baby Dream." Yeah, man, it, it, it's
0: incredible. Uh, my brother, uh, and I saw him do it at Nassau Coliseum,
1: and the 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 guy from you know Vega from Suicide loved it as well. And I think he even said he wanted it to be played at his funeral.
0: Yeah, and that's you know not every pop star or top forty artist has their has their ear to the, to underground things like Bruce and Little Steven and the whole band. Like, they love music and they celebrate it when they play, when you can tell that. Yep. Yeah, so Bruce advances and The Clash. Just the fact that they made Sandinista is impressive to me. Whether it was relevant or not, I don't know, but just being able to get together and do that, not many people can say that and uh, they should be proud. And we're allowing Fleetwood Mac, the number eight seed, and the number nine seed, Black Sabbath.
1: It just shows how loaded this decade was that uh, you know Fleetwood Mac and the Black Sabbath are, are mid-level seeds. Uh, so let's talk about them. Fleetwood Mac is one of the most interesting bands from a history, a band history standpoint. You know, most a lot of people aren't aware they started in the 60s as a blues band led by brilliant guitar player, singer-songwriter Peter Green. And he was, he just had this most soulful, emotional guitar tone uh, later emulated by guys like Gary Moore. And, uh, you know, he did, you know, the, the early blues stuff was a little generic. You know, a lot of those songs you'd heard before. But uh, and then the guy named Danny Kerwin joined the band, and to me they went into more interesting direction. They brought it, branched out more, almost uh, became more of a jam, more jammy on stage. They have this live album, Live at the Boston Tea Party, oh. in Boston, obviously, and uh, it's, a, it's a great live album. Very rare, hard to find though. And you could see that they were, you know, great improvisational band like the Grateful Dead or the Almond Brothers, and you know. And they did an album called Then Play On, which was a great, very interesting album, which branched well beyond the blues. And that's when I really think the Peter Green and Danny Kerwin, Fleetwood Mac hit its peak. And I highly recommend those albums for those who aren't familiar with them. Um, you know, Black Magic Woman was originally Peter Green's song. It became a big hit for Santana. The Green Manalishi later was covered by Judas Priest. And, you know, the original was quite heavy itself. So... Those are some and albatross was uh, became the inspiration for the uh, the Beatles because on Abbey Road. So uh, you know they were influential and and popular. And uh, then crazy stuff started happening. Peter Green, you know, like Sid Barrett became kind of an acid casualty. And then uh, Jeremy Spencer, another guy in the band who who wasn't nearly as talented, he, he left the band to join a cult. Uh, and then, kind of, Danny Kerwin became the leader of the band, and a little bit later, Bob Welch, who you know had some solo success after with "Sentimental Lady," was a big hit. Was originally a Fleetwood Mac song. Um, Christine Perfect later, Christine McVie joined the band. You know, she married the drummer. Uh, let me talk about the drummer and the rhythm section, who are Fleetwood Mac essentially, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. They were the only you know, original members who've been there throughout the, 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 uh, the band's long history, you know, but uh, interestingly enough, they're the, they're not the songwriters. You know, they were, they were the backbone, you know, as, as being a very strong rhythm section, but they were always reliant on, you know, other people to write and sing the songs. And so you had the Bob Welsh, Danny Kerwin era, which was underrated in my opinion, albums like future games. And, uh, bare trees with very good albums and then uh, you know they they had a little bit of a lull I guess uh, towards the end of that Kerwin actually kind of cracked up himself and got kicked out of the band so again a crazy convoluted band history and then they struck pay there when a fledgling duo had, who had one album to the name uh, decided to join the band were asked to join the band Davie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham right so now we're into the Fleetwood Mac that everybody knows and loves. And they they instantly, you know, scored with Fleetwood Mac, their self-titled album, which had songs like Landslide and Rhiannon and then Rumors, you know, was a monster. One of the great albums of all time. I mean, every song on that album is pretty, pretty amazing, right? You had The Chain, Go Your Own Way, Dreams, just Gold Dust Woman, Songbird. Uh, what can you say? Then Tusk was one of those crazy experimental follow-up albums that, was as far removed from, from rumors, you know, part two as you could have expected. And there's the old, you know, saying where, like, Mick Fleetwood, you know, Lindsey Buckingham really took charge of that album. And uh, when he was done, you know, Mick Fleetwood said to him, you know, thanks for ruining our careers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and there's the, uh, you know, the, the rumor that at the record company playback, they all saw their Christmas bonuses flying out the window, you know. And, but it was still successful, so like five million copies, which, you know, was a disappointment, you know, considering what Rumors had done. And then, you know, they they did a couple more albums, you know, Tango in the Night was a very successful album. You had Gypsy on Mirage, which was a great song, you know, Sarah on Tusk, which I had talked about. Uh, Tusk has, you know, become kind of a cult favorite over the years, actually. You know, it has a lot of fans. Uh, but again, it was not Rumors. Uh, And then they had a lot of lineup changes, and, you know, they came back in 97 with The Dance, which was really, you know, a huge comeback for them. Uh, A live album, and and they kind of, you know, traded on nostalgia a little bit, but uh, it kind of reminded everybody how much they loved this band, and they really kind of came back, you know, full force, and had a big hit. With Silver Springs from the live album, which was left off rumors, even though it was a great song, and it became a belated hit from this live album. So, you know, there's been a lot of drama, a lot of history. You know, Fleetwood, you know, Stevie came and went. Lindsay eventually got kicked out, left off his own accord, was replaced by two guys. They released, a, you know, some lesser albums in between all of this. And, uh, um, you know, Stevie ultimately kicked Lindsay out of the band. You know, they were. You know, I, I'm surprised it didn't happen much sooner, to be honest with you, given their history. You know, they were a couple and they broke yeah. up and they were together. You know, and how do you, you know, it's amazing how they stay together as long as they did, you know, given the acrimony. I'm sure there was to an extent. And uh, it's a shame that they're continuing with Adam because I think Lindsey Buckingham is such a big part of Fleetwood Mac, obviously, replacing with some very talented people. Um, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty's Heartbreakers and Neil Finn from Crowded House who who I really like but I just don't see him as a a good replacement necessarily for Lindsey Buckingham Um, so anyway there's that that crazy history a lot of ups a lot of downs but a lot of great music too Uh, overall you have to say they've definitely earned their legendary status especially the Buckingham Knicks version which you know which kind of rivaled the Eagles is you know, kind of the biggest fans of of the, you know, late 70s to an extent, along with, you know, the other giants like Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. Um, But Black Sabbath essentially invented heavy metal. I mean, we're talking ground zero of a major genre. And their first six albums with Ozzy were were all great, to be honest with you. Uh, and and they did great stuff with Ronnie James Dio too, which is kind of underrated. Well, maybe the greatest heavy metal singer of all time did some of his best stuff in Black Sabbath. So you know those albums hold up. When You listen to them, they still sound great. So is is you know I'm sorry I'm being you know maybe I was too long winded with Fleetwood Mac. I'm going to be a lot more brief here. Uh, you know Black Sabbath, they are pretty much the heavy metal band, if it, not the number one band, they're certainly right there. And uh, there are legends. Tommy Ami was the ultimate, uh, you know, riffmeister, you know, those doom riffs, you know, Stoner Rock, all these genres. Any, any blues-based metal band that's, that's come up since is indebted to Black Sabbath. And, uh, you know, Ozzy is Ozzy. You know, he's a legend. He's got that weird, unique voice, but it totally fit Black Sabbath's music geezer butler had you know tremendous bass player wrote all the lyrics which most people don't realize bill ward great drummer you know totally underrated uh, later vinnie uh also with a great drummer um you know they they probably hung around too long with the sabbath name after Dio left you know with tony martin and and some other singers uh good singers like ian gillan and uh why am i the voice of rock i'm blanking out his name it was in deep purple within the coverdale uh anyway uh i don't know why i'm blanking out it's been uh, he's been around a long time it's gonna it's gonna hit me but anyway uh i'm sorry uh it'll hit me later and i'll probably bring it up in, in a subsequent edition but you know, they, they, they kind of were forced to use the Black Sabbath name by, the, by Sharon's dad, Ozzy's manager, at times when maybe they, it should have been an Ayami Soul album, you know. But, you know, that, that's the biz, and I think it kind of hurt their rap a little bit over the years. But those, those you know, again, like any great band, you, you're really judged by what you did in your prime. Nobody holds it against the Rolling Stones that, you know, their latest album isn't great. You know, it's all about satisfaction and give me shelter and those great songs. So I would say Black Sabbath is a deserving victor here. And Matt, what do you have to say?
0: Um, you said Ian Gillen. That's the fella from Deep Purple, I think.
1: Deep Purple, exactly, yes. Yeah,
0: but you said his name, so I'm not sure if it's hey, Glenn
1: Hughes, Glenn Hughes, that's okay. what I'm thinking of.
0: Yeah, um, I love Black Sabbath, uh... You're correct, the first six records all hold up. The Dio stuff holds up. They invented something. <laughs> How many bands can say that, right? No, um, they invented something that grew and many other things were heavy as shit, but also tuneful um, in a way that doesn't necessarily happen today. Uh, Fleetwood Mac, I love Rumors. I know very little about the blue stuff, although I've gone through phases of check it out. Um, they belong in this bracket, but they don't belong going against Led Zeppelin next week, whereas Black Sabbath certainly
1: does. That's and, a heavyweight matchup for sure.
0: <laughs> and then and I think, you know, anything, anything we would have to say further on Black Sabbath, they're probably going to need – uh when, <laughs> when they're going up against zeppelin so yeah
1: decided on dogs but uh we'll see what happens yeah but
0: ozzy is ozzy you know and it, it, it they're um
1: you could have put ozzy in as a solo artist really for the 80s i mean sure you about what he did with randy rhodes especially i mean you know they could have been in the mix we, we didn't include them again it was it was hard to make uh include everybody but uh again he you know his solo career alone i believe is worthy of induction into the rock and roll hall of fame
0: and that brings us to the end of the 70s we've got led zeppelin as the number one seed they'll be squaring off against black sabbath number eight number five seed david bowie against neil young That's going to be a tough one. The Battle of the Vans, Van Halen as a number 11 against the Upset King, Van Morrison, number 14. And then we've got Bruce Springsteen against Pink Floyd. That's
1: an interesting one for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, Could go a couple different ways here in the 60s and 70s, but uh, we'll get up on the 80s and 90s next time. You know, we'll give this a listen, see what comes of it. Scott? Scott? Have a good well, night there. You too. We'll see you next time.